Hello and welcome to What We Got Right and What We Got Wrong, Q4 2022. This is our quarterly podcast where we discuss some of our investment decisions over the last quarter, what went well, what didn't go so well, and more importantly, looking ahead, how we're framing and positioning for the quarter ahead. Um, so, Tian, I think, um, you know, now here in January 2023, it would be useful just to not only review last quarter, but the, the setup going into that. And I think for, for me personally, the, the major innovation we made um, was really framing our tools into tactical, cyclical, structural through the year, where, you know, coming into 2022, um, you know, we were seeing some of our cyclical tools starting to deteriorate. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, coming into the year, only 75 bits of hikes were priced in for the Fed. Um, and we were saying that, you know, there could be a reflation impulse if our China LEI turns up. Um, but that didn't happen. So, you know, naturally, as you're we refreshing, the cyclical picture just kept getting worse and worse. Um, and at the same time, I think it was the March Fed meeting where that really confirmed to us that, you know, the, the policy impulse was going to turn very, very negative. And so, I think that set the tone for the rest of the year where we're cyclically bearish on risk assets, um, but at the same time, things don't go down in a straight line. And I think that's really where the tactical tools really helped us time some of the bear market rallies and when to, when to de-risk at the tops. Um, so I think, you know, summing up in terms of the risk on risk off picture, I think we did a pretty good job um, with, with equities and then with fixed income, I think. Um, again, just highlighting some of the cyclical tools. They were not supportive for duration positions until we got kind of towards the middle of the year where we started to see recession risks start to rise. Um, that's when some of our inflation leading indicators, at least the longer leading indicators, started to roll over a little bit. Um, so things were lining up, but I think it was more the case that the tactical picture wasn't as supportive as it was, I think, um, in November, um, kind of late October as well we started to see some tactical buy signals for um, for the 10-year and I think 20-year bonds um, in the US. And that's that really gave us the, the conviction to, to go max overweight. Um, yeah, I don't know if um, you want to kind of discuss, you know, with that backdrop, uh, more specifically in Q4, some of the, the wins and losses. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a very good summary, I think, of the year. Like, if I take a step back, when I think about it, I think we came in with like a mildly uh, optimistic view. We thought it was going to be a 2004 analogy, mm. but I think we were able to get out of that relatively quickly by March because of you know reacting to the Fed, reacting to the lack of China reflation, and also the Russia-Ukraine war. Right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like we did a good job managing that. To me, I was quite happy with how we, I think, set ourselves out in most of the asset classes other than for FX, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the dollar was like the one thing um, one, it was a mistake of omission in the first half, and then I feel like uh, we, you know, obviously we'll talk about uh, talk about it in more detail. I think we filled in some of the gaps in maybe our framework overall in terms of the flow pictures. Um, so I think the dollar is probably the main thing we got, uh, quote unquote, wrong mm -hmm. in twenty two. Even though I think it's it's very annoying to me because I think we caught the contrarian trend very well. Right, we we're mm -hmm. along the whole way up from middle of 21, pretty much near the bottom, right all the way to like essentially March, where the idea was mm. normally dollar peaks on the first um, the Fed, Fed hike. hike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we underestimated, I think, the magnitude of the commodity-driven flows linked to the Russia-Ukraine war and that disruption mm. and the scramble for dollars, and then itself its own kind of um, uh, kind of you know, bubble-like dynamics, right? That's why the LPPL triggered by October. So mm. I think at least now we're tracking a lot more of the commodity financing needs. 
So I think that helps to fill in um, kind of a gap in our original framework, right. which was a lot more focused on kind of dollar smile, which is all about capital flows. Mm-hmm. And again, most of the time, capital flows should be what matters. Mm-hmm. But obviously, at the extremes, these dollar financing flows are actually quite large. And mm-hmm. clearly, the, the magnitude of the Russia-Ukraine war disruption and associated flows, um, you know, we, we just didn't really capture the magnitude. Right, and so I think that was a problem. Like throughout the year, we kept going, yeah, it's up a lot. We're still mildly bullish, mm. but really, I don't, we don't want to take a view. And they just kept going higher. And then even when the LPPL triggered, which is yeah. like one of my most reliable kind of reversal patterns. And this was, like, this was late October, right? Yeah, because yeah, so. by then the recession, <clears throat> the recession was the signs go up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, we probably should probably should have treated that LPPL reversal with higher conviction. Mm. I think we put out some stuff around, you know, long dollar, Oh, sorry, long euro, long, um, long pound mm. around that time. But yeah, I feel like there's one area where I think, you know, on review and building out some of the, the missing links around some of the commodity flows for DM, mm. know, I feel like a lot more comfortable, I think, this year just to see how that dynamic reverses in addition to kind of the, the dollar smile. So, I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's almost similar to um, 2021, kind of at the start where we were uh, pretty aggressive with kind of steepening. Uh, because again, I think we overweighted the cyclical picture where we saw growth and inflation in the eyes really start to surge. Um, so to us, that's a really good backdrop for curve steepening. Um, and that didn't really come through. And I think from that experience, we kind of worked out that, you know, the structural flow picture was, was very important in keeping a lid on on uh, 10-year yields and going further out the curve. Um, so building out some of those flow tools helped us then kind of rebalance yeah. the, the cyclical structure. And I think it's kind of similar to to how you're describing it now with the commodity flow picture marrying up with the, yeah. the cyclical um, kind of the growth AI backdrop. Um, so I think, yeah, going forward, like what's now, <laughs> we've kind of lived through that um, that dollar surge and now that it's coming coming off quite a bit, um, you know, how are we thinking about it now with obviously our US recession signal being active? Um, do you think it's, it's a time to kind of almost reset and then effectively weights the cyclical picture again very heavily yeah so i think we put that in the uh in the reports talking about the recession signals as well right where um even on a capital flow basis so much of the flow has happened already mm. kind of ahead of the u.s recession from china from europe so you've got a quite kind of rare setup now where clearly the consensus themes right for 2023 from a macro picture is one is obviously china u.s divergence mm-hmm. china reflation outperforming versus u.s the second one will be a kind of a curve steepening trade right those yeah. are two big consensus but probably even though consensus will play out somewhat mm-hmm. kind of themes <clears throat> so i think um it's going to be linked to that and i think that's where it gets more complicated on something like china where right now it's very much anticipation Mm. rather than uh, seeing it in the data. So not about data is going to be that reactive so far, right? Or you obviously it's like some, a lot more soft data-led in terms of some of the China mm. uh, reflation patterns. So, um, you know, I don't think it's that obvious a uh, conviction bet, especially if you look at some of our fast money proxy flows. So I think it's, it's, it's very, it's kind of very tricky. I think ultimately you still probably want to trade China from you know, the long side, right? You want to mm-hmm. bet on it going up, but you probably need to, again, similar to what we did with equities and, and fixed income last year, is really have, a, have in mind our trend, knowing there's going to be quite a big deviation around it, and mm-hmm. then use the tactical, you know, the, the yeah. fast money flows, those cumulative flow kind of proxies to time it. Right. Because I think if you look at our 
outflow proxies. I was, you know, it looks like basically we've recovered all the selling that was done in 2022 mm -hmm. in China. Obviously, it's been a bear market since 21. Mm -hmm. So that, so if there's real participation coming back in, you would expect you can recover all the way back to the 2021 highs in mm -hmm. terms of flows. That would be another leg up. But all the activity looks pretty speculative right now. So we're getting quite close to the point where the speculators are kind of get, getting too long. Yeah. And that's usually like a one month plus contrarian trade, right? So it's, it's quite a mixed mm -hmm. um, picture, I would say, in, in terms of like the, the publicly, the, the, the funds as public holdings. Again, it looks like people got pretty overweight China already across yeah. all the kind of different strategies, right? Like mm -hmm. basically in November, they started chasing it. So mm -hmm. you can kind of see it. Um, so I think on China, I'm still comfortable with like the quote unquote error of emission a little bit. Right? I think mm -hmm. we, we, we timed the bomb very well, November 1st, yes, yeah, yeah. rode it for up pretty much the end of the year. And mm -hmm. then from here, you know, the rumors were already out, the reopening was in. So it felt like, yes, it, it ultimately mm -hmm. it probably needs to get fully priced in, but mm -hmm. we, ideally we want to see some confirmation, I think in, um, in, in the underlying data. Uh, before I think we, we, we want to really participate in chasing the XLX. So. Yeah, I think linked to that as well, just broadly with, with our EM views, I think last quarter we did pretty well and through the year as well, just not, because I think a lot of people also just looked at the fact that valuations were, you know, optically very, very cheap. Um, so in terms of your longer term equity allocations, I think it was an environment for people to just, uh, you know, just kind of close yeah. your eyes, Buy, buy into these, you know, the, the kind of seven-year, ten-year forecast, you know, EM value looks unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, again, we, we use some of our tools to help flag when these regime shifts um, turn. So things like EM liquidity uh, versus DM liquidity, I think is a really good model for understanding when these cyclical conditions can catalyze that kind of valuation re-raising. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, China is heavily, <laughs> like a, a heavy portion of EM, but then I think also what we've been flagging, this is more to do with the structural capital cycle picture is that yeah, okay. in LATAM, um, you know, things have been lining up very, very nicely. Um, you know, I think again, going back to some of the fund positioning stuff, it seems like there has been kind of this structural underweight there. Um, the cyclical picture, again, we're kind of waiting for that to, to truly bottom, but I think it's, it's good news that, you know, in Brazil, for instance, CPI has been running over pretty sharply in line with our inflation leading indicator. Uh, our growth leading indicators starting to bottom out there. So, um, you know, these are these are really good signs, I think, for uh, for a LATAM equity outperformance trade. Well, um, and debt, right? I think and, and debt as well, yeah. To your point, if the growth picture isn't quite aligned, the debt, long EM debt, long EM sovereign, like that's yeah. pretty much fully aligned, right? That's, this is precisely the point you're supposed to get. Absolutely. Yeah, long, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I did want to think, <clears throat> in terms of what's top of mind, I think, for fixed income, clearly the top of mind thing is like the pivot and mm -hmm. basically when you bounce deepening, yeah. when does the carry not kill you if you're a levered swaps player? Um, and I think the framework still works pretty well, right? I think we call the basically the flattening trend throughout 2022. Mm -hmm. I think we never deviated from that the whole way down. Yeah, yeah. And then in December we said, okay, the flattening trend's probably over and it's pretty much now we're range trading. Mm -hmm. um, but I think timing is obviously dependent on the Fed and the complication with the Fed is it's quite unprecedented set of data, right? Where you've got leading indicators looking extremely bad, mm -hmm. but the follow through to the coincident data is not being as um, fast as mm -hmm. maybe historically, right? Due yes. to various things like, you know, obviously we talked about in recent reports, maybe it's labor holding you know, mm -hmm. or whatever else. So um, I think that's why um, we refreshed our Fed easing trigger and, and actually made it into more of a 
a proper regime model to mm. get a sense of when you're close to, to the pivot, which is going to be important for um, kind of allocating a lot more risk to betting on the steepening. Yeah. And yeah. and um, and when you get a much bigger move in uh, in bond right, yields going lower and bonds mm. rallying. And you know, obviously the latest is like a twenty odd percent chance, right? So it's still fairly low. Mm -hmm. um, but just looking at the input, I think by obviously it's now what almost end of Jan, so mm -hmm. yeah, by March, April you would think that, that the pub raising would surge quite a lot, right? Yeah. Because yeah. CPI is coming down this way, rates coming up that way, leading there is rolling yeah. over this mm -hmm. way. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I think linked to that as well, right? Because um, you know, the way we model recessions I think is very different compared to what consensus measures. Um, you know, we're measuring it as a real-time uh, regime jump process. Um, so if we are wrong about that, I mean, it's too early to tell, really, because yeah. obviously the MBR, it's fitted to the MBR dates. Yeah. MBR dates the recession, you know, many months, can be years um, after yeah. the event. How do we assess in real time if we're wrong about that, um, about that call? I mean, is there, because like, as you mentioned, there is the coincident data that we're tracking, and obviously the leading data looks awful. Um, is it simply a case of watching some of the coincident data or is it also kind of understanding how markets are thinking about it, getting the earnings revisions? Yeah. So obviously the the mod, you know, we've described it as a um, phase shift when mm -hmm. both the hard and soft data are stressed at the same time, right? That's what we're using to indicate recession, mm -hmm. but it's fitted to the MBR dates. So obviously, historically, it's not like you know, the MBR dates it so that that's the, the exact top in equities, right? Or it's the exact, you know, uh, bottom in, in curve deepening, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be some element of front running or not. But overall, I feel quite comfortable right now. Obviously, we're now calculating a daily value just to give clients some color. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of focus on it. But clearly, it's one of our important tools, but not the only one, mm -hmm. right? Like, you still ultimately, classic prices we need, sentiment evaluation, positioning, tactical... Like timing, mm -hmm. this is more like a very important anchor to tell us what regime we're in, how we're trading it. But on its own, it's not like an exact um, timing device, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously, you don't have the price, you don't have the volume, you don't have the yeah. transaction data feeding into it. But I, I would think of the MB, and our recession models confirming the liquidity growth LEIs, mm -hmm. um, helping us stay on top of the evolution of the data. So even though initial claims have been improving a lot in January. Yeah. Obviously, what we see is the probability come down, mm. but the overall level is still relatively high. Yeah. So maybe it's not like imminently mm. negative growth, but yeah, clearly yeah, we're yeah. very close. So I think that that's how I would frame it. It's kind of very useful as an anchor. Mm. So as as prices deviate too far from it, we can then uh, think about it, right? And I think on our flow measures in, in terms of this S&P bear market rally, you've only recovered about half of half the sell-off. Uh, so there's still like you know there's still like a decent amount of inflows yeah. to go right before mm -hmm. we get to contrarian picture. So there's gonna be a lot more room for everyone to talk about. Hey, look at the breadth of the market. Look at basically it's like to me it's a repeat of um, what people talk about in July. Historically, mm -hmm. never have you had this strong a breadth for us. Never have you had yeah. this strong a breadth volume. But obviously we track in that number, and one is the ratio is extreme, but two mm -hmm. is like the actual cumulative dollar value. So mm -hmm. yes, there's room for the dollar value to go up. But once it gets back up to the highs, say March. I don't know, call it S&P 42, I don't know what, yeah. what number it's going to be, uh, but the flows will be in, mm. then there'll be no more buyers unless yeah. it's a big policy pivot or where does the marginal money come from, right, at that point. Yeah, because liquidity on the eyes are still at you know, multi-decade lows, right? There's been, yeah, plus like, like bonds are great value, right? Almost yeah. all the various we have stock versus bonds. The reason why we're max overweight bonds is mm. the, the flip side of max overweight bonds is you've got to be max underweight something, right? Mm. And like equity versus bonds, like, 
the yield ratio is like one of the most reliable forward performance indicators. Yeah. So bond yields are so high relative to S&P yields, mm. uh, earnings yields, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. just in terms of historically, right? Mm. Obviously with the actual risk premium, whatever you want to call it, right? But just basically that's like a key leading indicator on mm. our portal. So, um, so I think that's more the setup um, why, um, you know, I think given we're, obviously our goal signal went off beginning of the year. So we're mm. like, okay, long goal, long fixed income, underway equities fairly neutral and most cyclically exposed other commodities, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, that that makes sense to me. I feel like that, that you're not gonna be, you're gonna be doing fine this year with that setup for mm -hmm. now, right? Even if equities don't collapse and we don't have recession, I don't feel like that's bad, yeah. too bad a, a setup, right? Like bonds are only gonna underperform if the economy goes, you know, you know, gangbusters mm -hmm. and then like the Fed hikes a lot into it. Yeah. And if all the leading, and the leading day just really suggests that's very, very unlikely, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I would say right now that's fine. What we should be watching is how big a policy stimulus comes out of China. Mm. So obviously we're tracking our data. Right now it's a run-of-the-mill stimulus rather mm. than 09 style, yeah. so it's probably not enough. Um, so, yeah. I, I would say like it's going to be hard to know in real time whether the signal itself is right or wrong. Mm. But obviously, you know, one way to judge would be given that economic data is released with a lag, mm. Let's see if the data really starts deteriorating in March, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that would be the timeline. February, March would be more the timeline. But obviously, because right. you have to collect the data, releases, the, the yeah, releases only going to start coming out in March mm -hmm. onwards. So then all this stuff about, you know, GDP, yes, but like you're, mm -hmm. you're at your, it's the first read of a, of a print that happened last year. Well, the, the re, there wasn't, our model didn't say there was a recession in Q4, right? Until mm -hmm. the end, when it says it's just beginning. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the that's the thing, right? You, you you're gonna have to judge based on January February mm. numbers whether you see that point of deterioration, yeah. and just looking at some of the surging layoff announcements and stuff, mm. it kind of feels like you're at that tipping point. Uh, but but we'll see, right? Like the initial claims is a very good leading indicator. It's doing the exact opposite of what we think it's doing. So that's mm. the one thing that's causing you know, the model probably to come off. Yes, yeah. yeah, um, yeah so yeah. so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, the final point to make there is that a lot of the coincident data as well that, you know, people are tracking and, and seeing the headlines for, like, non-farm payrolls, these things are also very heavily revised. So, you know, the, the true underlying picture is, you know, what we've seen in the past is that actually it deteriorates a lot faster than you realise in real time. It's only after the fact that things, the numbers get revised lower. So again, these dynamics, I think it's, it's kind of, it distorts the picture at the very onset of the recession, right? And then you need things to become blindingly obvious. And I think that's where you get the, um, you know, the final crash lower. Yeah, that's a bit like the OA setup as well, right? Mm -hmm. I think we, we did a review in a recent report, right? Where typically the first leg down is leading the indicator deteriorates with yeah, yeah. risk assets. Mm -hmm. And then risk assets rebound or go, and then you need the constant data to fall before that final mm -hmm. leg. And so even if you go back and just look, right, no way, the first half, it just holds up, right, yeah. balances back, and you see that, in, you know, in, in a few of these uh, recession patterns. Mm -hmm. So that, that's more what it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, I would say there's also opportunities in terms of clearly looking for more asymmetric payoffs. Obviously, I think, I think the euro dollar core spread, those things we pitched um, part of the scenes work out very, very well. Mm -hmm. But now I think increasingly, if you look at the performance of all, there's mm. probably ways to monetize the fact that, yeah, monetize vol yes, yeah. Uh, right now whilst expressing the view, right? Mm. Like, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind selling too much, selling some upside and buying some, <laughs> buying some yeah. down yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah. right now, given, given where things are. So um, I, I would say that's probably one way to layer things 
um, on top. And I think our stock picks are going to be more interesting this year. If you look at what the capital cycle, business cycle combo spit out, right? Mm. Like, you know, if you look at back to themes, you know, those two, those few buckets we suggested, I think that's an overall quite a nice profile setup where mm. one is you have cyclicals that are so beat up that even it, that a recession is basically priced in. So, you yeah. know, we flag things like home builders, things like that. We flag some of the things that have been just less, that's less exposed to US recession dynamic, more exposed to China reflation. Dynamic. So, you know, a lot of the European listed uh, luxury goods, you know, mm-hmm. they've done still very well so far. And the third bucket, just a bunch of these defensive type names, right? I feel like those, that selection of single names we put, picked out that actually, uh, you know, is doing what, what it should be doing. Yeah, and this is really important, I think, because the capital cycle thing was a really good starting point for some of these relative value ideas where, you know, if you only traded the capital cycle, uh, you go long the capital scarce industries, short the bottom ones. Uh, through 2022, that strategy performed unbelievably well. Um, and it's things like energy, shipping, those are the, the, the obvious candidates at the top. Yeah. Something that was quite interesting that we wrote about last quarter was Japan, lifers, that, that's done very well now. It was kind of a, a slow-moving thing that eventually the OJ, like, finally and then you out, had right? the macro-cyclical catalyst, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's a really good starting point. I think... You know, going into this year, um, you know, I think again, at, even though the cyclical picture is still very negative, I think there are still these really interesting relative value opportunities where you use the capital yeah. cycle as a good starting point, and then you do the the digging and the sense checking. I feel like the insurers, Japanese insurers, is almost like a, a really good example of something that I think we do quite well, which is how do you translate macro into like single stock ideas? Because mm-hmm. the whole point was we knew the depth. Like, I guess every macro guy was trying to position for a BOJ move, right? You had yeah. initial excitement in the first half of the year. Mm. We know Corona's leaving this mm. year, uh, end of Q1. Um, but then, yeah, if, so then everyone bids up uh, Swaption Ball. Yeah. Everyone's like position for, for like the, the, you know, the, the, the band to widen. But actually, mm. there's also knock on effects in terms of impact, right? Like, it's also mm. heavily weighed on your short. Is Japanese financial insurers. Yeah. yeah and yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think that was something that Hanya offering would help us to highlight and you get mm. a lot more asymmetry yes um, to, to that bet so I think yeah I think I, I really really like that that was well that was great work by you right but yeah that was, <laughs> that was I think really a nice example of um, how you translate macro to like essentially a single stock mm. game, really yeah absolutely okay anything else top of mind for you Tian? uh well yeah I mean it's obviously we're recording this end of Jan because it's such a busy start to the year so really I think we're tracking basically real-time policy regime odds recession odds when do you time the cyclical steepening for, mm-hmm. for fixed income? And then when does the flow suggest you can short equity again? Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, that that's really the, the, the issue right, right, right now. It's clearly gonna be quite tricky. Um, and I think overall I'm happy with our kind of roadmap for when, how to get back in, right? Like the three step is you need a policy pivot. You wanna see yeah. the explosion of sand exhaustion signals mm-hmm. that you normally see at major bottoms. Yeah. 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 And then, and then our LDI should turn up. Mm-hmm. And, other than a little bit of stabilization in the US growth area, I, I don't think it's that obvious in mm. the data yet, right? So if they're not there, I don't think we can turn, but I think at least we've got a game plan for when to do it, right? It's not that you just, you just like bearish, you know, we don't have to get back in. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Great, thanks very much. Thank you for listening.